If you have a Bible, I want you to hold it up and repeat this affirmation with me this morning. This is God's Word. I believe what it says is true. It teaches me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now, open up your copy of God's Word and let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. Luke chapter 15. This morning, I want us to look at what is probably one of the most familiar, most loved stories in the entire Word of God. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. Now, a parable is just an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And so whenever we read parables in the New Testament, we need to understand that there is something behind this story. It's not just telling an earthly story. It's not just telling a here and now story. There is a spiritual message behind it. And we're going to look at the parable, the story of the prodigal son. Charles Dickens said this about this story. He said, it's the finest story ever written. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. He said, it is the greatest short story ever told in or out of the Bible. George Murray said this. He said, it is the most divinely tender and most humanly touching story ever told on earth. Now, the story of the prodigal son is one story that is part of three stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. And each of these stories reveal to us the same truth. God loves the lost. And God seeks out and looks for and desires to save the lost. And so if you leave here this morning without learning anything else, learn that. God loves the lost. And God's desire is to seek out and to save the lost. In this 15th chapter, we see the story of a lost coin. We see the story of a lost sheep. And we see the story of a lost son. But what we need to understand is, as we read the parable of the prodigal son, there's not really one lost son. There are two lost sons. You see, one of them is lost in a distant land, far from the father. The other is lost close to home, near to the father. But the truth of the matter is both of them are lost. Both of them need to understand the Father's love. Now as we unpack this story this morning, I want you to understand clearly three things. One, the Father in this story is referring to our Heavenly Father. And so as we read about the Father, you need to ask yourself, what does this tell me about God, my Heavenly Father? And then as we look at these two sons, the younger son and the older son, you need to understand today that each and every one of us, regardless of our background, regardless of where we've been, regardless of what we've done, each and every one of us in this room will be able to relate with one of these two sons, one of these two brothers. As we read this story some of you are going to relate to the younger brother, the younger son. Others of you are going to relate to the older brother, the older son. But what I want you to focus on this morning is this. Not how this story relates to someone else. Perhaps the person that is sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you. Perhaps someone that is not here this morning. I, I don't want you to 
concern yourself with how this story relates to someone else. I want you to ask yourself, how does this story relate to me? Now what we're going to do this morning is a little bit different. We're just going to start in chapter 15 verse 11 and we're going to unpack this story as we read it together. So if your Bibles are open, let's begin with verse 11. It says in verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. In other words, to make the point crystal clear, to make sure that everyone understands that the Father loves the lost, Jesus told one other story. And then he begins the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, the story begins with a boy who evidently had a good home. All of his needs were being met. Everything he could possibly want was provided for him. And yet, he wasn't happy. This younger brother didn't want to live in his father's house anymore. He longed to be on his own. And so this younger brother arrogantly approaches his father and demands his inheritance. The word want or give, depending on your translation, is in the imperative tense. It is a command. So this younger brother is going to his dad commanding, demanding that his father give him his inheritance even though his father is still alive, even though his father had not yet died. In effect... This younger brother was saying, Dad, I wish you were already dead. You were interfering with my plans, my life, my happiness. I want you to give me my inheritance now. I'm tired of you telling me what to do. I'm tired of living under your roof. I'm tired of you defining how I'm going to live. I want to be my own boss. I want to be my own man. He was rejecting his father. He was rejecting everything his father stood for. It reminds me of a story I heard about a little boy who went up to his, his grandfather, his poppy, and said, Poppy, make it sound like a frog. Make it sound like a frog. Make it sound like a frog. And his poppy didn't understand. And he said, Son, why do you want poppy to make a sound like a frog? And he said, Because mom said, When you croak, we're going to be real rich. <laughs> and that's how this younger brother was he was just like this boy when it relates to God you see we want everything that God has to give us we want to breathe God's air we want to eat God's food we want to walk on God's earth we want to enjoy God's world but we don't want God we want God to go away we want God to leave us alone and that's what sin really is sin is saying God I want to do it my way God, I want to be my own boss. God, I want to live independent of you. I will be happy to enjoy your blessings. It's more than okay that you give me your inheritance. But don't tell me what to do. I want to make my own rules. Now, can you imagine how this father felt? I, I don't think you can really understand this unless you're a parent who has felt the rejection of a child. I believe that, that probably the rejection of a child is even worse than 
the rejection of a spouse because that child is part of you. That child comes from you. And and whenever you see your child do something well, your heart wells up with pride. And whenever you see your child hurting, the pain you experience is exponentially more than your child. And and you can't really understand that until you become a parent. And, And that's how this father was feeling. This father was being rejected by his very own son. He was heartbroken. I imagine his heart felt like it could burst through his chest. Now understand, back in that day in Middle Eastern times, if a son went to a father and said, Dad, give me my inheritance now, that son was either in for a beating or he would be put to death. You say, that's harsh. That's the culture they lived in. Because if you went to your father and said, give me my inheritance now, you were saying, I want you to be dead. And so that father would beat him, or that father would kill him. But this father doesn't do that. This father does the unthinkable. He he honors his son's request. He he doesn't explode with anger. He doesn't send his son away empty-handed. He doesn't even plead with his son to stay. He liquidates his estate. He divides his wealth between his two sons. He does the unthinkable. Now what does that have to say to us? Well, here's what you need to understand. As much as God loves you, he will never force you to obey him. He will never force you to love Him. He will never coerce you to worship Him or live for Him. I've often wondered why God didn't make it impossible for us to rebel. I've often asked myself, why why didn't God make it impossible for me to reject Him? But the reason that He didn't do that is because if He did that, we would never really know what it was to love God. You see, for love to be love, it has to be a choice. For love to be love, it has to be something that that we decide. And so God created us in such a way that we can choose to love Him or we can choose to reject Him. We can choose to rebel against Him or we can choose to live in relationship with Him. Here's what you need to understand. God will never force you to love Him. And God will never keep you from leaving him. That's who God is. Now let's keep going. Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Uh, About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Can you imagine how this father felt as he watched his son leave the house, as he watched him walk through the gate, as he watched him head down the road into a distant land, never knowing whether he would see his son again. There's a book, the title of it is The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's written by Henry Nowen, and it says this about this story. 
says the son's leaving is a much more offensive act than it seems at first reading. It is a heartless rejection of the home in which the son was born and nurtured. When Jesus talked of him going to a distant land, it indicated more than a desire to see more of the world. It speaks about a drastic cutting loose from the way of living, thinking, and acting that had been handed down to him from generation to generation as a sacred legacy. You see, the idea of a distant land implies that this younger son was getting as far away from his father as he could. And when he got into that distant land, he began to live life. At least that's what he thought. He was living his way every single minute. The phrase wild living there, it literally means loose, reckless, foolish living. One paraphrase says it this way. He wasted all of his money on parties and prostitutes. But as he was going from party to party, so was his fortune. The Bible says that he was wasting his money. The Greek word there for waste is a, is a word that means winnowing grain out in the countryside. And it was, it was used for, for a person who takes the grain and uses a pitchfork and he throws the grain up in the air and the wind takes the chaff and separates it from the, the, the grain and the chaff just blows away. And what this is saying is this young man was blowing his money on parties and foolish living. And the truth is, if we're honest, that describes some of us here this morning. That's what we're doing. We're living far from God, and we're wasting the things that God has given us on a life that is nothing like the life that God has planned for us. And you need to understand that when you're in this distant land, God still loves you. But one morning, this prodigal woke up, and he realized that all of his money was gone. His banking account was empty. And not only was his money gone, his friends were gone, and he was left with nothing. Now, you would think it couldn't get any worse, but it did. The Bible says a severe famine hit the land. And the only job that this, this young man could find was working for a farmer feeding pigs. You see, Satan always shows us the pretty side of sin. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin. But what Satan will never show you is the ugly side of sin. And look at me. There's an ugly side of sin. I would be amiss if I told you there wasn't a pretty side, a made-up side. Oh, sin can look pretty. Satan can dress it up. But when the makeup comes off, sin's ugly. Satan shows us the party, but he doesn't show us the pig pen. And here we see this, this young man stuck in a pig pen. Someone said it this way, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. Because Satan never shows us the pig pen. And what you need to understand is if you leave the Father's house sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a pig pen. 
Now, and understand, this was a Jewish boy. And there was no animal out there that was more dirty, that was more filthy, that was more unclean than a pig. I mean, to be around pigs was to defile yourself. And yet, this young man had to feed the pigs. He had to go out into the pig pen, and he was so hungry, get this, that he longed for the food that the pigs were eating. He was so hungry that he wanted the pig slop. And did you, did you get what it said? And no one helped him. You see, Satan promises you the world, but in the end, Satan's desire is to destroy your life. And so we see this, this prodigal son hitting rock bottom. And that's where some of you may be this morning. You may be right there. You've come to church this morning and you're already at the bottom and you're thinking it can't get any worse than this. There may be others of you that are out there in the party squandering the things that God has given you. You haven't hit rock bottom yet, but understand the bottom's coming. It's coming. So what can we learn from this? Well, I believe this is what this passage teaches. When you live your life apart from your Heavenly Father, it's never going to end the way you think it's going to end. Trust me. When you choose to live your life apart from the Father, it's never going to end the way you think it's going to end. So let's pick up at verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me back as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. He came to his senses. In other words, his eyes were open. He looked around, and he realized that he had made a mess of his life. And he thought to himself, I don't want to live in this pig pen anymore. I don't want to eat pig slop anymore. And listen to me, that's always the first step of being restored to what God created you to be in the first place. Opening your spiritual eyes, looking around, and realizing that the life you're living is not the life that God created you to live. And so the son begins thinking about how good it is at his home, and he realizes that even his servants have it better in his father's house than he does. So he devises up this plan. He says, I'm going to go home, and, and I'm going to stand before my father, and I'm going to ask my father to forgive me. I'm going to admit I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God, and, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but, but if you would just take me back as a servant, I, I would be so thankful for that. Now, there's some disagreement as to what the son was doing here. Some say that he was truly penitent and he was really um, sorry for the way he lived. There are others that say that no, he wasn't really penitent. He was just tired of living the way he was living. He wanted to go back to his father's house and eat his father's food and, and wear his father's clothes and, and live under his father's roof. But it wasn't because he loved his father. It was because he wanted the things that his father could give him. 
You say, how could that be? Well, in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 10, when, when God is bringing the plagues on the nation of Egypt, we read in verse 16, Pharaoh said this to Moses and Aaron, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, was Pharaoh repenting? Absolutely not. He just said, I, I don't want these plagues anymore. Take these plagues away. And maybe, maybe that's what the prodigal son was doing. Maybe he wasn't really turning to God. He was just tired of the pain and the misery and the hurt in his life. But regardless of what he was doing, here's what I know. He made the right step. Because he took a step to the Father. He realized that his only hope was in his Father. And so the Bible says that he got up and he headed home. He didn't take a shower. He didn't shave. He didn't put on some clean clothes. He didn't have any. He just got up out of the pig pen and headed home. When I was growing up, we would sing a song in church. We sang it a lot. The song was Just As I Am. Do any of you remember that song, Just As I Am, without one plea? And, and the song's message is, we come to God just as we are. There's a more recent song that, that we sing that goes like this. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. You see, some of us have this idea that to go home to the Father, we've got to straighten up our life first. We've got to clean up our act. We've got to get things right. But that's not how it is. Because the truth of the matter is, listen to me, you're never going to be able to straighten up your life. You're never going to be able to clean up your act. You're never going to be able to make things right on your own. That's why you need to go home to the Father. So here was his son, living in misery. He realized that even the servants had it better in his father's house than he did. And so he began that journey home. Well, let's pick up in, in verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But, you, you see that? This son had his, his speech prepared and ready. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me back as a servant. The father didn't let him finish speaking. He cut him off in mid-sentence and said, Quick, bring the finest robes in the house. Put them on him. Get a ring for his fingers, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party begins. When this son was a long way off, his father saw him. Have you ever asked yourself how? I mean, was it just a coincidence? That on this particular day, the father was out in the field and he saw his son coming a long way off. I don't think it was coincidence. You see, I believe that every day, sometimes multiple times a day, this father would go to the highest point on his property 
And he would look to the east and to the west and the north and the south. And he would wonder, is today the day that perhaps, just perhaps, my son who is lost will come back home. And every single day he was looking for this son. And this particular day he looked a long way off. He spotted his son. And he didn't sit there and wait for his son to come to him. This old man tucked his tunic into his clothes. Very undignified thing to do. And he ran to his son. He embraced him. And the Greek says he kissed him over and over and over and over again. He showered this son with love. This son who had said, I wish you were dead. This son who said, you're only good to me because of the things you can give me. This son who said, I don't want you in my life. This son, he embraced. He kissed. Showed compassion. Showed love. And I believe with all my heart, that broke the son's heart. And in true repentance, he acknowledged, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy. But the father stopped him. And said, go. Get a robe. Get a ring. Get sandals. Kill the fatted calf. Today, my son who was lost is found. My son who is dead has come back to life. Let's party. He was saying, I'm not going to take you back as a servant. You're my son. You see, out there in the world, the son discovered the misery that sin ultimately will bring in each of every one of our lives. But as he came back and fell into the Father's arms, he discovered the mercy, the grace, the love that can only come from a father. And the party began. You'll recall, this is the third time we we talk about a party. When, When the sheep was found, Jesus said, when the sheep is found... It's like one sinner who comes home and and all of the angels in heaven celebrate and rejoice. And then when he was talking about the coin, he said the same's true when someone comes home and and the angels in heaven rejoice. And now he is saying that the lost son is home. What are we going to do? We're going to throw a party. Now if the story ended there, it would be an incredible story, wouldn't it? A story of a father's radical love A story of a son's foolish decisions, decisions that we all make. And a story of a father that even in the midst of our rebellion, even when we say we hate you, we don't want you in our life, God. That father loves us and is waiting for us to come back. If the story ended there, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But Jesus didn't end the story there. So let's see what he said. Notice what it says in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working. 
When he returned home, he heard music dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fatted calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry. He wouldn't go into the father's house. His father came out, begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes you celebrate by killing the fatted calf his father said to him look dear son you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours we have to celebrate this happy day for, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The younger brother comes home. And instead of rejoicing, the older brother gets angry. Now understand, some of you might be saying, well, I'd be upset too. Because now he's going to come back and he's going to get part of my inheritance. No, you missed the story. Remember the very first couple of verses when the younger son asked for his inheritance? What did the father do? The father divided up his estate between his two sons. So he gave the younger son what was rightfully his, and he gave the older son what was rightfully his. The father had already given everything he had to his sons. And so when the father said, everything that I have is yours, that was true. I mean, he had already given it all. And yet this older brother was angry. And listen, he displayed the genuineness of his heart. And when I say genuineness, he displayed what his heart was really like. It was filled with anger. And, and, and he never really served his father out of love. He said, all these years, I've slaved for you. I've done everything you told me to do. In other words, I've kept the rules. I've obeyed the laws. And yet, you haven't done anything for me. He didn't realize that the father had given him everything. He was so stuck on being mad that he failed to realize that all this was his. The story ends and we really don't know what happened. We never read that the older brother came into the party to celebrate. And you know that the father's house is a picture of heaven. We see that in John 14. In my father's house or many rooms, if it were not so, I'd have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so the younger brother, who just was an evil, wicked young man, came to the father and was welcomed into the house. But here is this older brother who kept the rules, did all the right things, but he's outside. Did he ever go in? We don't know. We don't know. But here's what I know. I know that every one of us in this room 
will have to identify with one of these two. Either we're like the younger brother who has run from God, rebelled against God. We've gone into a distant land. We've lived life our way. And we may not have said it verbally, but by the decisions we've made, the choices we've made, we've said, God, I don't want you in my life. Some of you are saying, I would never do that. Oh, bull. Every day you live, you're saying, God, I don't want you in my life. You do it when you sleep around. You do it when you go downtown and you get drunk. You do it when you go out there and you spread gossip and rumors and innuendos about people. Every single day. When you go out of here and you live your life your way instead of God's way, you're saying, God, get out of my life. I wish you were dead. Not some of us. But there's others of us. I mean, we got to be honest. Never slept around, never got drunk, never stole anything, never did anything bad. We've gone to church pretty much our whole life, and we've served, and we've tried to do good things and be good people. And yet, deep down, and our heart we're not doing those things because we passionately love the father we're doing those things because we want what the father can give us and we're just as lost as the younger brother so where are you at now i know many of us we've given our hearts and lives to jesus i understand that but perhaps there are some of us here this morning who haven't made that decision yet. And you're like the younger brother. You're running from God, living life your way. Or maybe you're like the older brother, self-righteous, arrogant before God, saying, look at what I've done, God. And you've never realized that you need God's mercy as much as the younger brother. And here's what I know. One day we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And if we're not coming to him, pleading for his mercy and grace, we've never understood our need, regardless of how we've lived our life. So I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, you may identify with the younger brother. You may identify with the older brother. But if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, then I want to encourage you in just a moment to pray this prayer with me. But to be honest with you, there are some of us in this room that you've given your heart and life to Jesus. And you can go back to the time that it was real. And it was, it was a real thing for you. You really did give your life to him. And you experienced his mercy and grace. But Oh, goodness, somewhere along life's journey, you've messed up, you've blown it, you've turned from him, and you need to come back home. And so regardless of whether you need to come to him the very first time or you need to come back to him, I want to encourage you to do that today. And if you're here and you need to do it for the very first time, would you pray this prayer right now? Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin I need you and, and you can fill in the blank I've, I've 
been living in rebellion against you. Or I've been living a self-righteous life. I need you. I know you love me. I believe my only hope is Jesus. His death on the cross. His resurrection from the grave. Today, Father, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting Jesus to save me. I'm surrendering it all to you. Take control. Change my life. Make me new.